I just want to share anything before we study tonight. We've been dealing with the promises of God, and we're kind of transitioning to a new study. I want to do a, a study I've been looking at for a couple of years now, uh, Bible lists, and it's just going to be lists of things, and I don't know how long we'll be in this uh, kind of topic, but um, it stems out of a book that I have called, uh, Wil- it's not Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. Some of you have seen that book. It's a great big thing Harold Wilmington put together. But he also put a book together called All the Lists of the Bible. And, um, and he just compiles like various things together. Sometimes they're opposites or whatever. But he would, you know, you go into the section that starts with A's or whatever. And he has all the verses and lists that deal with angels, for example. Or, or Adam or, you know, and going right down through various um, words. And there's just hundreds and hundreds of lists. So if, if you ever want to know a topic, you can kind of follow it through scripture and connect it together. Well, I was thinking about what would be a good topic to start with. I was kind of perusing all those lists in that book, and I, I got into the H's there with heaven, and I thought, well, that's sort of what we've been singing about tonight, right? We were singing all those songs, the theme there is heaven, and it's the eternal destiny for those who believe. It is the final, really, resting place and the abode of, of those who are, are saved, and that's where we're headed, all right? If you're a Christian, that's where you're going. And I thought, what a great way to start talking about heaven. And maybe we'll go back and we'll talk about some other, some other things. But I thought we'd start with this one tonight. Before we begin reading scripture, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for all the revelation, specific revelation you've given us. And Lord, you've given us everything to know who you are and what you're like. You've given us just these descriptions of various things. You have told us that there are two destinies for people, heaven and hell. And Lord, the way to heaven is made, made clear through, through your word, through your servant Jesus. And we thank you so much for that. And we pray even tonight, oh God, that we would appreciate this more and more as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thought we'd start with this list, and I just have a string of verses, and I put them in, and I thought, these are 53 facts about heaven. Now, there's actually more than 53 verses, because some of them are, are doubled up, and there's more than one verse that deal with a, a various section, but we may not get near the end of this. I don't know. I thought we'd go down through it, and if you um, have something you want to interject, like any time, I don't mind if somebody says, hey, what about this, or some verse that you think about, you feel free to talk and feel free to share as well. Um, sometimes we come to this, and again, it's a kind of one-way communication from the pulpit here, but that isn't the way uh, really God intended us to just receive the word. He wants us to think about it and to to you know digest it, and uh, if you have something to share in regard to this, feel free to do so. But anyways, we're going to start off and and, uh, just going to go down point one, point two, right down through. And the first thing is this, heaven is being prepared by Christ himself. And we know that from John chapter 14, verse 3. Many of these will be familiar verses to you, I hope. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Of course, Jesus comforted his disciples in uh, that great section of John chapter 14 where he tells them yes he's going away but they there is a place that he will be preparing for them and in a similar fashion for all those 
who are saved. And um, I think of that because Jesus was a preparer, wasn't he? Uh, He is the one who prepared the foundations of the earth. He was there when creation was there because he's God the Son. He was the one while he was here on earth who was the carpenter's son. And as that phrase implies, as a carpenter's son, he would have learned the trade of his father. And that was important. And here's Jesus, God the Son, right, but put on flesh. He would have had to have learned the skills of someone who can put something together. And, of course, uh, I can't think of a better carpenter you could ever get than Jesus, right, who made things from eternity past. And I'm so thankful for that. And he's promised that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Someone put it this way, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you prepared for heaven? Uh, Number two, it is only for those who have been born again. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It will not ever be. Uh, even your eyes will not lay sight on that wonderful place and heaven and all that it entails, the kingdom of God, um, except unless you know him and by faith and you're born again. And uh, that is a promise in the word of God as well. Uh, it is a glorious city. And we're going to bounce around in the book of Revelation. There's a few other places, but we know most of the description of heaven as out of the book of Revelation, uh, some in the book of Daniel and the Psalms and other portions as well. And we'll see how far down we get. But it is a glorious city likened to pure gold and clear glass. There we go. Revelation 21.11, Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And I am trying to picture that in my mind. We'll get in a little further because it does describe the city and what it's called, the New Jerusalem and, and all of that. But to picture something that is just like clear almost and yet glorious with the radiance of God coming out of it and those that would be his for eternity in that city. Not like a city down here, which if you've been to any cities, it doesn't matter how well kept those cities are, there's still all kinds of problems and you have to get rid of all, all kinds of you know litter and trash and all the sewage and all that. In heaven, it won't be any problem like that. It's going to be a perfect city because God has prepared it, not man. Well, the city's name is the New Jerusalem. That's number four. And, oops, back up here. Um, maybe I didn't put that one in. Oh, yes, I did. I just didn't read the next verse. The construction of its walls was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Now, again, this is John, the Apostle John, as he receives this revelation from Christ himself. And he sees this, and he's trying to describe it with his eyes. And you can imagine what mortal eyes would do to try to describe heaven. Um, And John can only come up with the things that he knows are beautiful here on earth. He describes it like pure gold, like glass. So it's different in that way. Verse 2 of Revelation 21. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem. And the name Jerusalem, what does it mean? What's the word Salem in it? Salam. Peace. It's really the city or Jerusalem, it is the city of peace. 
uh, and it is the, the place that God chose on earth. Obviously, there's a Jerusalem in Israel, but it doesn't reflect fully at all the new Jerusalem, a different city, uh, a city that is going to be a perfect place of peace. Today, Jerusalem and earth is not a perfect place of peace by any means. But he says, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And we know the name of it. We know the shape of it. And the Bible says in Revelation twenty one sixteen, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. Okay, And the, he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height are equal. Now, something that's length, right? Whatever you want to do it, length and, and width is the breadth. And the height um, describes a cube. And that cube is given dimensions from what, what um, the, the order of the, basically the reed that was laid, which was a measuring tool, right? 12,000 furlongs. And a furlong is a measurement, and it has been a standard measurement throughout, uh, well, written history, essentially. And it has varied slightly, but not much. Most would agree that that would be roughly, if you were to calculate in miles, to be somewhere between 1,400 and 1,500 miles. And it's cubed, okay? Now, if you were to place a cube like that on the globe, it would sort of look something like that. And I, I think that's kind of strange, you know, when you think about it. And, but I, I've often wondered about this. Heaven is going to be a place that will be occupied by a lot of people. And I've thought of that. I'm like, you know, if it's this little small place, we'd all be packed in there, wouldn't we? Um, I don't think it's going to be as much concern there as it is down here when you're too close to people. But I can think of the amount of people that could be placed into that just living in that place. And it doesn't mean you're confined to that either, by the way. But the New Jerusalem. And my, my little sanctified imagination, which, you know, sometimes it's, it's a little not quite sanctified, but you know what I mean. My little imagination uh, runs with that. And I get thinking about that. Do you realize you can fit the entire population of Earth in the city of Los Angeles? Now, you wouldn't have much space. You'd have just about elbow room. But you could fit the approaching what? Uh, eight nine billion people now on the planet and you could actually fit that amount in the city of los angeles you can imagine how much space in a three-dimensional cube that's 1500 miles by 1500 miles by 1500 miles and how beautiful it would be and of course god being the author and designer and finisher of it there's nothing there that will ever be out of place there will be nothing there that will um, disappoint. Uh, I, I down here, there's things that disappoint, right? Somebody comes in and and puts. Uh, I, I laughed because uh, Sam had to move his heat pump, and he he in his little house that he has, and the guy who installed it had to come back and put it somewhere else, and um, he sent a picture and it's crooked, you know. And I thought, oh man, you know, you you've done all this work to get things looking nice, and the guy comes in and puts it in a crooked. Well, in heaven, you're not going to worry about crooked things, right? And um, I don't know if that'll get fixed, but it, it Sam's like me, it kind of bugs him. You see it right away, you know, something's not lined up right. But that's the way the earth is, isn't it? We're in a crooked world, and it'll disappoint you sometimes, and even it'll disappoint the best, but not with Jesus, right? Heaven is a perfect, perfect place. Its size is, as I said, um, 
12,000 furlongs, or roughly 14 to 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. The city rests upon 12 layers of foundational stones. It says the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth sardinx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprasus, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Now, some of these precious stones are maybe, they're still stones with a lot of those same names, but some of them maybe don't reflect the ancient stones they described, and we don't know for sure exactly what some of those stones were colored at. But you have there 12 different kinds of stones, 12 beautiful, very precious stones, and that's how John sees this city whose foundations are like that. Heaven's not going to be just this monocolor place or even just white light coming out, but filled with color. And I've often thought about that. Down here, you can look at the wonderful colors that, is avail- that are available to us, right? And sometimes, you know, just even through photo- photographs or through paintings, or we try to capture that. But it's really never like nature really has it, right? You go out and you see, you know, the light changing like right about now as the sun's getting low and you see the, the sunsets and you see those. And there's never one that's exactly the same. And the variety of colors that God has available to us just with what we can see here. And by the way, the human uh, eye doesn't see all, uh, well, it's visible colors to us, but, but like, for instance, you know, insects see entirely, some of them, like bees, see a whole different range of colors that we don't because their eyes are different. You can imagine in heaven being given glorified bodies, would that also include eyes that can see things that, that we don't see down here? Maybe. I don't have a verse for that, but I just, again, as I think about those things, I think, you know, right now, these old eyes, they need these things a lot more. I have to put them on quite regularly as I'm reading now and those kind of things, and I, for a long time, have been stretching my hand out further to read, and now I just don't have enough hand, you know. But, but someday, perfect eyes to see a perfect place. Think about that. Interestingly enough, the stones that are described there are also the same stones that are referred to way back in the book of Leviticus in the priestly garments. You remember the priest, and you can see sort of a a picture of of the high priest who represented the people of Israel before God um, in the tabernacle in the wilderness, but then later in the temple. And one of the things he, he wore was a miter or an ephod, excuse me, that was connected by these chains that was sort of like a breast, it was called a breastplate. And on that were 12 stones, and each one represented one family of Israel. And so you had, for instance, the sardius, which, meant, uh, which represented Reuben, the topaz, which was Simeon. And then you go right down through those different stones and and someone has tried to guess maybe what all those stones look like. And I would say already I can see that like the jasper is pictured as red. That's the one right at the very bottom um, on the uh, right, uh, number 12, which is Benjamin. And yet the jasper that's described in heaven in the book of Revelation is clear like crystal. 
So perhaps it looked more like a diamond or will look more like a diamond. We really don't know all the different colors. We do know that it, it pictures an amazing variety of things. And the best we could do down here in representing some of those colors is to take that from creation and some precious stone. And, and the ephod breastplate that the high priest had to wear, it was a constant reminder to him that his people were on his heart. In heaven, it will be a constant reminder to all of us that God has us also on his heart, in his home. And it's a constant reminder of that and the pictures of that. And I have uh, gone through studies, and there are, there are lots of different Bible studies that would go back to like the images that are seen and the types that are found in the Old Testament, Old Testament tabernacle and, and the priestly garments and, and all of that. And those stones are very important, aren't they? Constant reminder that as the priest ministered there in the temple, he had Israel right there on his heart. Well, we know a little bit more. Um, the foundations also had the names of 12 apostles on it. Verse 14 of Revelation 21. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And uh, that is one of those that the uh, theologians debate, what are the 12 names? It was Matthias, who was chosen by uh, casting lots in the book of Acts prior to later on Saul or Paul being who is called also an apostle. Um, remember Matthias chosen after Judas who was never really uh, a saved individual. He wasn't included among them. He was numbered among the disciples but he really wasn't a true disciple. After he dies um, another had to be chosen. Uh, I think the short answer to that in my thoughts are that Paul was the chosen vessel um, we don't know much about Matthias uh, other than the apostles seem to choose him rather quickly and it isn't something that necessarily God told them to do but maybe they just thought they had to do it you know when we get to heaven we'll know for sure because the names of those 12 apostles will be there on the foundations of that great city and then it goes on to say um, that the wall around the city was like pure jasper and that is like pure gold like clear glass so it doesn't really reflect perfectly what gold looks like today although when you look at something that is shined up and it's like you know with gold it certainly looks like glass right but it's really reflecting um, but heaven is going to be like that beautiful beautiful city and what we use down here which are made out of bricks and wood and all the other materials and building and all that up there are the most precious of things that are, 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 I think, probably special for just heaven, not necessarily even something we would build down here. We know that the height of this wall that is around it is 200 and roughly 216 feet, if you look at it. It says he also measured the, its wall, 144 cubits. A cubit is roughly the measurement from uh, your elbow down to your fingers and roughly 18 inches or so um, that was the ancient measurement and if you figure that out that's quite a, a large um, wall but it's an interesting wall it's it's not a wall that necessarily is there for defense like it is down here we have walls around things to keep people out uh, maybe to keep people in too but heaven 
the gates of heaven are always open. We'll find a verse here soon with that, and we'll learn more about that. Revelation 21.12, it says, And she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. And again, you have uh, the gates that are there, and those have the names of the twelve families in Israel, the, t- the sons of Israel, right? Just like those stones uh, represented uh, families, so the gates in heaven will as well. And again, showing a foundation, um, and by really the entrance of heaven that people will enter um, are there, and, and Israel itself is, is foundational to all of that. Uh, and it is really through that nation, figuratively and, and physically, that we have the way to heaven, don't we? Because Jesus arose out of the Jewish people, and it is through Jesus we are saved. And God promised he would bring Messiah out of that, that people, that nation. I'm thankful for that. And heaven will remind us of that as well. Uh, going on here, uh, we have 12 gates, it mentions. And the number 12 is significant, by the way, in the Bible. All The numbers mentioned in the Bible are, are significant in general. Now, you, you read a lot of times like one is a number of unity, and so is three also three like a triune god you know the father the son and the spirit the three are one um a threefold cord is not quickly broken you know solomon says talks about that four often is depicted in scripture as the directions of the compass north south east west and it has to deal with the earth or deal with the directions of the earth in that um the number six is the number of man it is the really the number of completion of man because on the sixth day man was created right number seven seven is that number of perfection or i should say the number of completion for god because it was the seventh day god ceased from his work in creation and seven often associated with god himself as a number of perfection i can go right down through them and you come down to 12 and there are all kinds of 12. Actually, 20 time, 22 times in the um, book of Revelation alone, uh, the number 12 is mentioned. And there are about 187 places in the Bible where the number 12 is seen. It, it symbolizes the completeness or the nation of Israel as a whole and the completion of God's plan. And we see that. Um, for instance, there are... Uh, and you go right through like in Leviticus chapter 24 God specified that 12 unloven cakes of bread would be placed every week in the temple with frankincense next to each of the two piles that were to be made and they were commanded to change the bread every Sabbath day and to do that Uh, you have 12 apostles right you have 12,000 from each tribe in Israel 144,000 total uh, of these Jewish evangelists that show up in Revelation chapter 7. Um, you see all kinds of different ones. You see, um, let's see here, the New Jerusalem, as it's mentioned there, 12 gates, and you have uh, 144 cubits, which is 12 times 12, right? And you see a lot of these different ones. The anointing number of 12, 
There are 12 people who are specifically noted in Scripture as being anointed for a unique task or responsibility. And I have a list of those. Uh, there are, um, well, uh, for instance, the, the public ministry of Jesus started at age 12. And it is at age 12, by Jewish right, that you become an adult. And you become responsible to God. And that's when Bar Mitzvah is celebrated or becoming a son of the law at age 12. So 12 is an important number, and there's lots and lots of more there that could be talked about that. But when you come to those numbers in Scripture, they're important. And heaven is based on a, on a base 12 system. And we have 12 inches and a foot. Uh, it just tells you that the metric system isn't biblical. How about that? I don't know. Actually, it's easier, isn't it? But it's yeah, it, it, those those ancient rites and rules and measurements and all of that come out of, I believe, the pattern that God established and gave to man in that. Uh, all right, going back here, where are we? Uh, each gate is made of a solid pearl. That's what it says. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Now, they're described as that, uh, whether that's pearly material or the look or whatever i don't know for sure you can take it where the literal sense makes sense look for no other sense Um, what is again something that is very valuable today down here and hard to come by real pearls um, especially you know just out of the wild Uh, you can open up a lot of oysters before you'll find a good pearl sorry about that guys that's ambulance going out (laughs) i apologize um Anyways, you have all these different um, ways that you see, like the images of heaven, and you see all of that happening. Uh, and I can just imagine what that's going to be like. And, and then it says, in the street of city was pure gold like transparent glass. And it says street, singular. I know we sing in the song streets of gold, but it says street. I don't know. Is it one street that goes through it, a street that goes around and never ends? I don't know. Um, but there's a street. And that's what the Bible says. And I, I don't know if that means something else. You know, when we get there, it'll make sense, like, you know, when we see things uh, and, and do that. You have those pearly gates, and that's the term, that, that's where that comes from, right? Um, angels stand guard at the gates. It says also she had 12 Great and high walls with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. 12 angels. And the Bible has a lot to say about angels. That's a whole other study, a whole other list. We'll probably cover that sometime and look at it. But these angelic beings, these won't be like little gargoyles or some other you know, stone-carved image. These are real angels. And we'll see them as they really are. Um, and I believe... They are these creatures as described elsewhere in Scripture. For instance, like the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, who are these fiery winged beings that are closely associated with the glory of God. And they would reflect that. Uh, Maybe they'll be there. But they stand guard at each gate. And they will never let anything in that isn't supposed to be there. Um, and and by the way, that also kind of flies in the face of all the St. Peter jokes, right? 
you know, St. Peter was at the gate of heaven. And, all, and there's nothing in scripture that says Peter is the one that lets you into heaven. Uh, other than where they get that, again, from the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, I will build my church, you know, and he's talking about on this rock. And I believe the rock, and I think what the scripture is clear on, the rock that Jesus is talking about is himself, not Peter. He was doing a play on words when he says, and Peter, you know, Petros, you small rock, on Petra, this rock, I will build my church. And in the original language, I think that's fairly clear. And so Peter is not, although his, his name as an apostle will be there on the foundations, um, I do believe that he's not going to be the one guarding heaven and letting people in and out, just so you know. And that's why, go back to the Bible if you want to learn more about heaven. <clears throat> the gates will never be shut. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. I like that. It, there's never any night down here, usually you lock things up at night, right? That's what most people do. And unfortunately, you have to lock things up in the day, too. And you find that. But in heaven, there's never a need to do that. And you're never going to have anything evil, sinful, um, harmful, sad, whatever, come into heaven. It's going to be a perfect place. And it is for prepared people who have the perfection of God... And he has granted that to those who are believers. And someday we will be like him, the Bible says. Not, not in this state right now, but in a new state. The gates will never be shut. The palace, or it's described as a palace like ivory. In Psalm 45.8, in this messianic psalm, it talks about the origin of the sun, uh, S-O-N. All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Now, think about that. Beautiful smells. That's not something I often associate with heaven as I think, because we don't think in sort of, I think it's probably just our own psychology, that we don't think ahead to smells so much um, that we've never experienced. Um, those often trigger memories of the past and all of those, and some of those would be things that you could you would certainly smell. But think of all the pleasant smells that we have on earth. I mean, sometimes you're walking outside and you just smell like this fragrant smell of a flower, and it's so so strong that you smell it from a distance, and then you know you put your nose near something and you know, a rose or whatever, and it's just so many dynamic smells. In heaven it will be a place filled with beautiful sights, but also beautiful smells. And if you have the senses down here, how much more will your senses be up there? Much better. I look forward to that. And then it goes on to say, out of the ivory palaces. We sing that song, right? Out of ivory palaces. By which they have made you glad. Praise emanates from heaven. And Jesus, the Son, came from heaven. And he came to earth for us. And he walked this earth to show us how we can go to heaven. I like that. There's a river of life there. And it's there to ensure everlasting life. Revelation 22.1 And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, picture that in your mind's eye. Um, when, you, when you think about something like a river, I think of a moving river, like the St. John, right? It's always moving, and it always has little ripples on it. But in heaven, there's a river that flows from the very place of God, 
and it's like crystal, perfectly still, perfectly clean. And that river is there as a measure of eternal life. <clears throat> Revelation 2.7 talks about a tree of life also. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And there, Jesus, who is doing the speaking, and as he uh, addresses the church and the churches, really, um, he's talking about the, the future place for believers, the paradise of God, and there'll be this tree of life. And I often think of that as the context of when God created all things in the beginning and they were good. He created um, the tree of life as well in that. And that will be connected someday to the end, to, the, to heaven. <clears throat> we know that the tree of life will bear its fruit each month. It says, in the middle of the street, of its street, again singular, on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And, you know, I don't know what exactly that's going to look like, but it's quite a tree, I guess. And its fruit is for continual healing. Wow. The throne of God will be there and occupy a central place. Uh, for instance, Revelation chapter 4, verse 2. You have immediately, and this is John again, he says, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. He sees this heavenly vision, and he sees a throne. And it's a throne that's set. The word set means firmly fixed. Uh, the thrones down here are shaky at best, right? <laughs> I, I don't care if you live as long as Queen Elizabeth II, but you know what? Your thrones are shaky at best, just a few decades. But up there, it's forever. And it's a good thing because we need a ruler who's a good ruler who can rule us forever and, do, you know, and, and be that one who never passes. Revelation 22.1, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, proceeding out of the throne of God, there is this uh, beautiful river. And it seems to be there in dispensing, you know, maybe that living water that is talked about. Matter of fact, in John chapter 4, when Jesus talks to the woman of Samaria, remember? says, Jesus answered and said, her, said, her, said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And that could be definitely a reference to the spirit of God who is likened like that. But what about the, the connection of the promise of eternal life? That's really what Jesus is talking about here. And he's likening that eternal life and connecting it with living water. That river that is crystal flowing from the very throne of God. We know that it, heaven is also likened to wheels of burning fire with an emerald rainbow. And in Daniel 7, 
We have Daniel getting a glimpse of this in his vision. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days, named for God, was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. And here's Daniel. He's just being faithful to the vision of what he sees, and he describes it as he can describe it. And I don't know exactly what that will be looking like. I know there's lots of artists out there probably who have tried to paint a picture or come up with something that would uh, show that. But in reality, when we get into heaven and we glimpse really what heaven is going to be like, we'll go from this realm and the pain associated with all of this world and in a moment right there with him and we'll see it. And we'll say, that's what Daniel saw. Think about that. Revelation 4, 3. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. So the one that's there. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So there's this rainbow that, I I mean, you can kind of picture the colors of the rainbow. um, But there seems to be an emerald hue to it of some sort. Um, I think of often the wordless book, you know, we look at the colors of the wordless book. And green is that, that associated with growth, right? And not that in heaven we ever need to grow more spiritual, because that isn't the, the nature of it. But we will grow in the knowledge of the Lord for all eternity. Forever. I don't think in heaven necessarily we will know everything about God immediately. I think we're going to be experiencing it new for every second, for, every, for time and eternity. Forever and ever. And God who is infinite, having never had a beginning, never an end, could, could actually teach us. And again, I'm just thinking this out. I'm not saying there's a Bible verse to this. But he could teach us something new about himself every second of eternity and he'd never run out. If you came to me and you said, tell me something interesting about your life. Or tell me all the interesting things about your life. About five minutes into it, I'd probably be looking like, ah, you know, I don't know. But God is God. He's infinite. He's holy. He's just. He's merciful. He's loving. He created all things. He knows all things. You could ask him, why did he make the duck-billed platypus the way he did it? And how come it looks like that? And I just think that just shows the marvel of a creator, you know? And so many other things that are far more complicated. Isn't he something? Revelation 4.4 It's surrounded by 24 smaller thrones. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And um, I can't tell you necessarily why that looks like it does. You know, uh, necessarily I'd say there's 12 and 12, and they're elders. Could that indeed be the 12 um, sons of Israel and the 12 apostles, um, very very well could be. Um, that would make sense, and that's where that number would, would fit perfectly in that. Let's see. Near it stands, this is by the thrones, a brazen laver. It says, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne... And around the throne were four living creatures 
full of eyes in front and in back. And you have the picture of a crystal sea. Again, down here, the sea is always moving. You will never go to the ocean and see it still. You might see it calmer in some places, but it's always moving. In the book of Isaiah, it says, The wicked are like the troubled sea, which casts up its mire and dirt. And he describes the, the sea down here like wickedness. But up there, it's perfectly still. And I just say, thank you, Lord, for that crystal sea as well and what it's going to look like. And you have uh, these creatures that are mentioned as well. There's a picture here of the, like a brazen laver. If you think about back in the book of Leviticus, when the priests would go in and before they would enter into the holy place, they had to ceremonially wash at a brazen laver. And these, this laver, which was made out of brass, essentially polished, uh, came from the mirrors or looking, you know, ancient mirrors. They didn't use glass, they used metals. And it came from the women who had come out of Egypt, and they melted that down, polished it up, and then they would put water in it. And every time the priest would have to go and stand over that to wash his hands, before he dipped his hands in that, he would see his reflection. And it was a reminder that he held a very important role as being the one who would intercede between his people and a holy God. It also reminded him that he was a sinner, that he himself had to wash. And it was pictured in that. And there was a, it's an aspect of sanctification, by the way. The blood sacrifice that was accomplished there and the tabernacle pictured a, a covering for sin, not the water, just so you know. One pictured a walk, one pictured forgiveness of sin. But in heaven, there is this crystal sea. And I thought about that. Would, would it be possible in heaven we could look over into that and see who we really are and what we look like then? Now I look in the mirror and I go, man, that guy got old. That guy just doesn't look as good as he used to. I know he still looks good, but not that good, you know. And yet, the mirror reflects who we really are, right? Can you imagine in heaven as we look into that and we see the reflection really of the glory of God who's made us something that is unlike anything else that we've ever seen or understood. And we will know. We will know ourselves. We will know each other. We'll know people, I believe, before that we never met here. We'll know who they are. One of the greatest phrases in the Old Testament when some, somebody died and it says they were gathered to their people. How would they know they're their people? Because somehow they're less enlightened when they get into heaven? No, because they're more so and no more. And we'll know that. <clears throat> the sea of glass. Revelation 4.8. Again, we have angels the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And again, I can't try to pretend to describe that to you other than to say, someday when we're in heaven, we will hear those words and we will see these creatures and they may sound a little scary to us right now, but they will be reflecting, again, part of the creation of God, that a God who can do something so wonderful in these living creatures, six wings, full of eyes, within and without, they see all. 
And what do they say? Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Father. Holy is the Son. Holy is the Spirit. And again, the three, I think that addresses the, the Trinity, the triune God, but called Lord God Almighty, singular. Again, you see that in, in Scripture. You have a golden altar that is there. And the bowls of incense. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That's going to be something. This is used in the judgment that is going to be poured out on earth at that time. But this scene is in heaven. And at that time, and we would say that it would be um, a one-time event for this, but the description of what's going on may not be one time. But here you have uh, the prayers of the saints being used in a form of judgment, like poured out on the earth, like a vial pouring out something, uh, incense. And I, I don't know why, other than to say, you think of all the people who have prayed when they have suffered unjustly um, or when they've prayed for people that have rejected Christ and that's what that judgment will be poured out on is the rejectors of Christ in that time and they will be without excuse the Bible says there were people that prayed for them and how much more we should be praying right now and being part of God's plan for the nations and Again, pictures of that, the golden, uh, it says, bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Um, Revelation 1, 12, we'll go there, talks about a, the menorah. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And the, the images in the Old Testament of the articles of furniture that were in the tabernacle I think we're a pattern of things also in the heavens. Uh, it makes sense. Now, they probably pale in comparison, but yet they were designed by God, told, they were told to do this in a certain way and build them that way. And someday, you get to heaven, you very well may see these things and realize that's what he talked about when, he, when we read through it. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, because it talks about the patterns and then it talks about the... The, uh, all, well, the offering in the heavens and all of those things. Um, for instance, the holy ark of God. Revelation eleven nineteen. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Now, is that the earthly ark of the covenant? I, I don't think so. That was a pattern of a heavenly. That's what the book of Hebrews says. And... In very real sense, when Christ died and offered himself once for all, where did he offer his blood? He offered it before the very uh, ark of God in the heavens. And that, again, there are people that argue that back and forth, saying, was his vicarious death here enough? I would say yes, but why does the Bible talk about that? later on about the ark of the covenant what went on at the ark of the covenant in the old testament a lamb had to die its blood was spilt and it was sprinkled on the mercy seat of the ark and that ark was overshadowed by two angelic beings that were 
that were looking towards the mercy seat with their wings outstretched. And they were not actual angels, but they were images of something heavenly. And it pictures for us a greater place, right? Well, I got to hurry up and get done here, but we see all these, these things and we see again the, the fact that, and next week we'll pick it up a little bit more and talk about the descriptions of heaven in its, um, its attributes or its perfections, is really a better word. For instance, it's a place of holiness, a place of beauty, a place of unity, a place of perfection, of joy, eternal uh, habitation, you know, all of that. We can go right down that list and look at some verses that deal with that. But hopefully that just wets your whistle a little bit. It should. We sang those hymns tonight, and um, in the sweet by and by, in that, that sweet by and by, it's going to be far sweeter than we ever realized. God, we are grateful. Grateful for your word, grateful for what you've promised us in the word. And Lord, we don't know much. We see dimly right now.